what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, imagining this podcast, I kind of just thought about us with the clown makeup, just painting it on our faces as the tears stream down, banking on a Kanye album this weekend. Uh, it didn't come, did it? Did not come. I wasn't confident it was going to come i was just hoping it really would for content programming purposes here at youtube.com slash nostalgia pod because this is a uh lighter week than mm-hmm. the past so it would have been really nice to have a nice meaty topic like donda alas we are not we don't have it yeah Do you, and i'm guessing you didn't tune into the live stream that went on in apple music I did not. I, I've caught up on like two hours worth of tweets that were tweeted during it, though. So I feel like <laughs> I got got the gist. Yes. Now, now, allegedly, Apple Music says that the date is August 15th. But, you know, uh, much like Pablo, uh, the date is subject to change. So yeah, we're just waiting. Yeah, we're just waiting. Um, some funny stuff came out of that live stream, though. The, the levitating uh, out of the stadium, Kanye running around with the like big long cloak on but my favorite part was probably him wearing the the spiky what was that like a gucci outfit or something like that (laughs) just showing it off in front of the camera um a lot of meat great memes came from that you know though uh, i sent this tweet to you and it showed kanye sitting in that little stadium in uh little room in mercedes-benz stadium uh recording um vocals for the Mm -hmm. new album and it was just like this album ain't coming anytime soon we Yep, uh, that that's when the clown paint especially came to mind. So I just was like, I really thought this might be coming when he when the live stream started, but then nope, not happening. Yeah, no no chance. So we'll we'll be waiting. It, hopefully, it does come out. It feels like it will come out. This isn't like Yandi where it's gonna get dated and then disappear. It feels like it will come out eventually. But August fifteenth, I'm no more confident in that date than I was the past two. So it just needs to be in my hands for me to have any belief in it coming out yeah well whenever it comes out we will be talking about it so if you're watching on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod hit that subscribe if you're on soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod or listening any other way make sure you you follow us um, especially at twitter at nostalgia pod where we talk about things that we don't get to on the podcast dave we're um we're gonna start somewhere that feels like groundhog day a little bit because um there's been a lot of optimism as things have started opening up over the summer, you know, vaccination rates rose quickly and now have been kind of petering out, but still, you know, inching towards uh, numbers that people scientists believe will uh, help with herd immunity of some sort, but COVID numbers also rapidly rising now. And the first major festival of the, fall festival season which is kind of just the only festival season this year um has been canceled which is the new orleans jazz fest citing concerns about rising covid numbers with the festival only being about you know five or six weeks away i mean is this this just the the start of all the dominoes falling and things being canceled and shutting back down again you think yeah it sounds very possible right there's a lot of criticism of Lollapalooza which went on without a hitch like normal and thus had you know lots of hundreds of thousand people packed in as the festival should be and 
New Orleans Jazz Fest case, a state like Louisiana, which already has a low vax, very low vaccination rate, perhaps not the best idea, um, especially in the organizer's part when it comes to liability. So you understand why, why it came up. I think uh, the New York auto show in the city uh, canceled this year right after the vaccine mandate came out, but nothing else seems to have been canceled at this point. And in terms of like things that would get canceled, it's probably just the festivals that have been dated because all like the big arena tours have largely been planned to start in 2022 as is. So it's really just these festivals that perhaps might end up in limbo. Governor's Ball, um, Bonnaroo, uh, Outside Lands. There's a bunch yep. coming up. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of hitting that critical mass time to right where uh, I think starting mid September, these festivals are, start, are supposed to start going off. I think Bonnaroo might be the weekend, like middle of September-ish, like maybe like the 16th or something like that. And then Firefly Governor's Ball the next weekend. Like it, they all kind of happen in a row. And so, man, it's feeling like this is kind of a critical point. I just don't know what these festivals can even do. You know, like you can have all the testing you want. Can you really mandate vaccine? How are you going to track that? You know, like the logistics of it all just feels yeah. impossible. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no way. How can you, this feels like a waste of time because people will just circumvent it anyway when it's yep. at that scale. And there's no like unified electronic way to measure that. Like I remember the comeback Foo Fighters show at MSG, I believe was vaccine required you know, like two months ago, whenever that was, that was a while ago now. And that was much more easier to handle, but like something at this scale, is just kind of seems impossible. There's, there's just no infrastructure for it right now, unfortunately. So I guess I'd bet against it, but, you know, then again, these, these organizers really want this money to uh, stay because they really need it after not getting anything mm-hmm. last year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some people, some groups just push through anyway, you know? Yeah. I think the, the difficult part is going to, going to be how like the big headliners respond, right? The people that don't necessarily need the money. And if they're right. going to say, I'm not going to perform if, you know, you can't guarantee people they are vaccinated or everybody's tested or something along those lines. Uh, I think there's been word from at least from the Firefly groups I follow that some of the artists there are putting pressure on organizers to be doing so. So I I don't, you know, I just don't know. And I I think we're starting to see that also things like the, you know, movies are starting to peter out now. Also suicide squad, big movie was released um, this past weekend in theaters and through HBO max. So potentially the box office numbers starting to come down a bit isn't something that we should be too concerned about, but something to be monitoring. If people stop going to the movies as well, it could be just a sign that like people are just playing it safe again. I don't know. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? That in movies is much more complicated because it's very like movie to movie thing. But what is clear with all the trends is you're seeing big second weekend drops for everything. So it's like the hardcore enthusiasts are showing up, whether that's, comic book fans, franchise fans, like for Black Widow and Fast and Furious, families for Space Jam, or even film nerds for A24's The Green Knight. No matter what it is, you're seeing a big drop in that second week, which shows you that casual movie going 
is basically non-existent right now and it doesn't help casual movie going when a lot of stuff is available on premium VOD or even for free on streaming in the case of the Warner Brothers movies. So movies is very complicated still and you're seeing more positive things and negative things depending on what the movie is. So there's a lot of lot to get into there. But yeah, I mean, the movie theater box office comeback is very, very slow. That goes without saying. Just look at the data. Oh, man, I just hope if, if you're listening to this and you've had hesitancy to take the step to protect yourself and get vaccinated, like please do your research and take that step um, because... Uh, I personally want to have these things. I want other people to be able to enjoy these things. Uh, another year of no concerts, middling movie success, just something I don't know if I could, uh, I would feel very good about. So uh, get vaccinated, do your research. Um, anyways, Dave, why don't we move on to some things that actually did happen? You know, yeah. Donda didn't happen, Jazz Fest not happening, um, but abstract mind state is happening and or did happen at least and what a uh what a surprise right that this was this um this group that hasn't released music since 2005 you know back then they were gearing up to drop this record Mm. and they broke up and one half of the group uh went on to become a behavioral analyst and kind of started working this day job another member of the group started, you know, stayed in music, working behind the scenes with Kanye. But now Kanye, not dra- not giving us Donda, but giving us a a new abstract mind state album where that he fully produced. Pretty cool. What what was your just like initial response to all of it? Yeah, very cool. Very unexpected. Uh, I was not someone who's really familiar with abstract mind state. Like you said, it's been what over 15 years since they've released new music and independent artists that kind of ran out of momentum and importantly ran out of money to continue their careers at the time and thus took a step back as performers. It was very interesting to uh, read up on this. There's a great story on Complex by Andre G about all this and, uh, you know, this duo and uh, Old School Ice, the the male in the group, he actually became an A&R specifically for good music, which is not something I was aware of. And they just kept referring to himself as a music industry veteran that was very anonymous. People didn't know him. Um, In particular, it points out that he was the one who picked out the beat for Big Sean's My Last and convinced him to do that song Mm -hmm. with Chris Brown, which of course was the breakthrough hit for Big Sean, who was probably the most successful uh, straight up good music signing. We know how fraught that label has become, but I think that that, that was a huge win for them. And just reading, kind of reading about this story is very interesting. And then I think like something that's more, uh, I think relevant to people right now would be that all the beats for this album, this abstract mind state comeback album, all these beats were made during the 2018 Wyoming sessions by Kanye. And they were out there at the time making this album. He had produced like 100 beats for them specifically as part of that big recording session. So it's just kind of cool to see this come together now. Because again, like no one really expected it. And I'm sure industry people knew about them being in Wyoming, but I certainly didn't really see it remarked upon all that much. So it's cool to have this now. Yeah, it's really cool to be getting it. Um, 
you know, it's also probably something we should mention that Kanye is using this as a way as like the jumping point or the first mm. project off of a new label. Uh, yes. Yeezy YZY. sound. Yeah. Yeezy sound. Y Z Y S N D. No vowels anymore. That's, that's just the way he rolls. So mm. uh, third, which eye. is, you know, <laughs> kind of an interesting choice to take this, you know, Chicago independent group that not many people have probably heard of, you know, who are at least probably our age or younger um, and kind of use them as a jumping point. But the fact of the matter is this album sounds really great and mm. it makes a lot of sense that these beats came out of that um, Wyoming session because, I mean, not only did we hear about how much Kanye was working during that time and, you know, how he was just kind of, you know, he was producing for everybody. Um, yeah. Tiana Taylor, Nas, we're going to talk about today. Um, made two albums himself. It sounds like, like these sound like they came from that. You know, they sound like things you heard on Kids See Ghosts or Yay. Um, like the chopped and screwedness of of these beats and the samples and all of it just feel like they're from that time. And they really, I think, mix together like an old school sound, but that still sounds mm. somewhat updated. It's it's pretty impressive, I, I think, and makes me excited that maybe we're going to get something kind of similar out of Donda and it's hard to I guess I shouldn't be jumping right to Donda from all this but it's hard for me to kind of take apart Kanye who's obviously the most relevant artist we're talking about in this conversation mm-hmm. even though this is an abstract mind state project yeah so right I don't know yeah it would have been cool to have this come out as the fifth album during that 2018 Ooh. run of good music albums just because all the fanfare and attention it would have been really great for them but either way again reading that story on complex it seems like abstract mind state views this as kind of like a bit of paying it forward on kanye's behalf like a bit of like creative altruism and kanye just had like really good motives about making good art and just really being in- invested in them after i believe uh they reconnected and uh, the old abstract mindset mixtapes help inspire Kanye during that time again the anecdote I didn't know about but uh, that is nice to see just because and perhaps they were sitting on this for a while and waiting for Kanye's next thing again to again kind of like elevate this that's Mm. what I'll choose to think about it anyway Um, that's pretty cool and apparently they also recorded um, 27 tracks during that session meaning they have enough for another project still yeah, And again, not something they were used to doing as independent artists that were on a tight budget back in the day. And mm-hmm. Kanye was like, no, I want more. Let's keep making more. So it's very interesting to read. Um, but even if you don't really know any of that context and you just listen to this album, uh, it's just, like you said, really good beats matched with really good technical rapping. It has a great uh, throwback, but also timeless vibe. And yeah, it, talk about a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think that that timelessness of it that you mentioned is right. And we're going to kind of, it kind of leads into the way I feel also about uh, King Disease 2, King's Disease 2 that we're going to talk about in a second. I feel like there's like this like old school, but things like this could have come out at any point between probably like 1997 mm. and <laughs> now, I guess. Which, yeah, I mean, sure. if, if we had heard this from anyone else other than Kanye or or an artist who's a little yeah. bit more old school. I common, been like common from Chicago as well. You definitely hear some common vibes here. Yeah, absolutely. And it was hard to like, almost like pick out my favorite tracks because they are like the parts I like in it are sometimes just like 
the samples that that come up out of nowhere and i'm like well is this really my favorite track because of abstract mind state or just because i think this is great production like the song i feel good when when you get that james brown sample coming in all of a sudden it's just like oh how how can you not like this song all of a sudden it's just like such a perfect like chop right there so um and what what tracks stood out to you or what were like the moments that you found yourself enjoying yeah i feel good stands out to me Uh, i really like the wise tale as well the whole thing sounds really great um Mm -hmm. and because the production is so layered and it's also sample heavy as we expect from anything related to kanye of course rewards uh, multiple listens but yeah it's just you know much like you said yeah as you're getting at much like uh the, the Nas album it's refreshing to hear uh older artists older rappers still sound so inspired still sound so so good you know so uh sounds really good kind of reminds me of how like early pro era used to sound where it's like wow these young kids they're so traditionalist and interested in the past that's so exciting and cool you know obviously abstract mind state hardly young kids by any any stretch but uh you can definitely sense the hunger and when you know the, again when you know the story about how they were uh not performing for so long and they come back and still sound so i think uh uh re-energized or refreshed by this this kanye production it's really cool yeah definitely um just real quick what did you think of the what like the one time kanye's vocals show up on this on brenda's song uh, yeah, you know, it sounds like older Kanye, uh, 2018 Kanye, you know, yep. like it's, he's putting it, putting the the full rhymes together. You know, this is not the na 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 remix with the baby Kanye song, you know, it's, uh, yep. it's f- fully formed, which is like, refreshing, which is a, shows you what kind of sad state of affairs we are in overall <laughs> with Kanye. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, just a couple of the songs I wanted to shout out. Um, I thought the track Elevation stood out. I thought the vocal sample on that, just kind of like like looping it back, um, was a really nice touch. Um, I also really enjoyed the guitar sample on um, My Reality, which also I thought had some of the best storytelling and like um, just straight like personal lyrics on the album. Um, and I think the last track that really stood out to me was... Um, expository mode um just thought that sounded really cool with like a toned down like jazz uh drum in the background just really like a nice like you said these songs feel timeless and i think that's what i really took away from this was just like the music slaps but you could have told me that this was an album from 2001 and i would have been like oh makes a lot of sense so Mm. i really enjoy that part any other tracks out to you or are you ready to move on no, I think that's all of it. But again, like this is not something that's going to get a lot of commercial attention. So it's just cool to see it uh, get platformed like this. So really cool. Absolutely agree. And we're going to move on to talk about King's Disease 2, as I mentioned prior. And Nas, he's working, man. Uh, we got King's Disease 1 last year, 2020. So uh, he's working, dropping these albums. And of course, you know, just a little, little bit before that, we got the album he collaborated on with Kanye during those Wyoming sessions we just were talking about. Mm. So he's been putting out music. And I think, at least from what I remember, our takeaway from King's Disease 1 was that, especially after those Wyoming sessions, Nas sounded a bit more inspired 
a bit more back to form on King's disease. So yeah. I think we were pleasantly surprised by it. Did that continue on King's disease too for you? Oh, it definitely did. And uh, that's very exciting because King's disease one, which I thought was very good and definitely very good per late period Nas standards ended up being Nas's first uh, Grammy winning album wins best Crazy. rap rap album Nas's first grammy win crazy to think about given he's in his late 40s and yet king's disease 2 comes out i believe this is actually a little less than a year later about a year later and i think this is really effective notably the second time Nas has released two albums in a year and i think this is a lot better than i am and nostradamus went particularly nostradamus mm. of course as everybody knows being a bit of a mess per Nas standards in the 90s but this you know Nas seems he just seems so almost like casual like he's like so like low stress but still quite ambitious lyrically I I thought King's Disease 2 sounded great and you know he seems to have found something with his collaborations with Hit Boy who Mm -hmm. uh, executive produced both King's Disease albums it they see they seem to really bring the best out of each other which is uh, really cool. And uh, yeah, I think Nas, Nas sounds awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, the, the smoothness of this album was, was the word I wrote down. It just sounds like, uh, and you, I think the effortlessness that you alluded to, he just sounds like he just like rolled out of bed and was like, oh yeah, I had this idea for these songs. Let's just do it. And it, like, he's not even trying that hard and it's coming out this good is really impressive. You know, I was similar to what I was just talking about the abstract mindset. I was trying to like pick a song that like really, really stood out. And I guess there's a couple. Like I think "Rare" might be yeah, the track that I like the most. I, I like "Death Row East" a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought "Nobody" stood out with Lauren Hill. You know, kind of just taking over the second half. But that like saxophone like transition between verses and lyrics, I really enjoy. Anyone that's listening knows I like a good saxophone. But overall, I just feel like it's just like consistently quality throughout. Yeah. There's a couple of moments where I'm like, like, I don't want to hear Eminem. I'm sorry. Like, I just, yeah, I don't just don't need to hear him at this point. I know what I'm getting. Notable for it being their first time both rapping on the same track. I believe Eminem produced the Nas song way back, but for a first time performing together. But yeah, like a lot of late Eminem, he doesn't make any fucking sense for half the verse. You know, it's like, what the fuck is this? Mm hmm. Yeah, so that you know, there's a couple of moments maybe don't hit as much, but pretty much from start to finish, even like look looking down the track list, like my Bible and not Nas is good, like or, yeah, it ends strong, strong finishing. So yeah. um, this is just a really high quality album, start to finish. It's interesting because, and I, I hate that I'm couching everything with Kanye, but Kanye is someone who I think has had a really hard time transitioning into this next part of his career gracefully and that's yeah kind of i think what we expected with kanye like he was never going to like just fade into the old man rapper without kicking and screaming you know um nas really feels like he's kind of finding this space similar to where jay-z got to with 444 yeah would you agree oh absolutely and and that's what's so great about it too because it seems like Nas is just getting a lot of flowers right now. He, he wasn't quite getting a lot of them once like Jay-Z just became the commercial force that he was in like the 2000s. And 
the Nas album stopped being quite as uh, the main event that they were, you know, like around like hip hop is dead, I guess. Like at the point of that point, like mm. Nas is like an OG, but he wasn't like still being rapidly consumed as he aged, whereas Jay-Z was. And it's really cool to see Nas like just getting so much love because he's earning it because the, the music is really good. And I mean, to, to, to pull out a Lauren Hill feature in 2021, yeah. really, really exciting. I thought she sounded great. Yep. Uh, just, just this year. I mean, that's rarer than getting an Andre feature. Like that, that that's, that's big news, honestly. Um, and yeah, I, I think my favorite song on this would be Death Row East early yeah. and memorable for the production hit boys doing a lot of like record scratching on that which sounds really cool always sounds you know timeless despite the data reference that it would be but i mean the the comment that Nas is making about his role in the east coast west coast beef in the 90s leading to the death of biggie and tupac is i think really cool to see that kind of like old man reflection in the song sure. and then of course you get the sample of the uh Nas show where they stopped the show to announce that Tupac had been killed of course um you know, a little eerie to hear but I thought that song was quite memorable yeah I, I agree I thought that really stood out and I think obviously ending with that like actual recording of the announcement it's almost kind of like in a way like hearing or watching video of when like Bobby Kennedy announced that Martin Luther King was shot when he was on stage at a campaign rally and I know it's like kind of different levels of like people in that case but just like that kind of like moment is just so jarring um really really interesting to hear him rap about it and yeah i i agree on lauren hill i thought she sounded awesome like i mentioned before so um definitely check this out we have we've already added a track to our nostalgia best of 2021 playlist so go check that out any last thoughts on this dave I'm curious to see if he gets another Grammy nomination. That'd be kind of wild if Nas started running it up, you know, uh, last year at the Grammys, they notably nominated lots of more traditional, uh, rapidly rappers, of course, mm-hmm. headlined by Nas who won, but also Freddie Gibbs, uh, D smoke, uh, forget who else, you know, it'd be wild if like Nas gets nominated back to back. That'd be pretty funny. I, I think there's a very good chance of it. We'll talk about when we get to our, grammy pod down the line but yeah in the fall let's let's move on to tanache uh we i mean we talked about her last in 2019 yep um songs for you an album i think we both enjoyed and were impressed with and felt like she was an artist really starting to find herself and 333 i think is it was a interesting moment because she's done with rca this is an album she's really taking full control of yeah well so is songs for you this is their second independent album yeah um and i think then to kind of change it up because i i actually thought songs for you was on rca my i think my enjoyment of this can go up a little bit because it feels like she just is continuing to like explore herself on this Mm. and you know you mentioned the easiness that i that nas brings i thought the easiness that tanache brought to 333 and just like jumping between sounds switching things up and making it all feel like really effortless and just like a piece of her um was really impressive and i thought i thought this was a really enjoyable listen um what was your takeaway from 333 yeah sonically it was not quite what i expected 
I really like songs for you. I thought there was some really fun, bouncy tracks on there, like Link Up and Hopscotch. And in general, it just seemed like Tanache was you know, doing what fully what she wanted to do as opposed to trying to be melded into like a traditional like R&B pop star or something like that. And now on 333, it's, it's a bit of a switch, right? There's less like capital B bangers like there were on Songs for You songs that she's really good at making but it's more of like this like silky r&b but i think the key difference is that there's just some new production from her in terms of songs she's writing like unconditional was it unconditional is a katranata beat of all people like mm-hmm. you wouldn't have expected that you know and then no. uh what is it uh un- undo parentheses back to my heart very like yeah. synthy production just also new and she's a good singer. And I think what's interesting about this is she's not, it doesn't sound like, like you said, effortless, right? She's not like trying too hard. It's like intentionally still light on the performance side, but because the production seems to be quite tactful in its um, newness per her output, uh, still leaves a very interesting impression. So yeah, not what I expected at all, but still pretty good. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's what makes her almost a really exciting artist at this point is it feels like she's just kind of trying things and finding what inspires her or what she wants to be doing. And it's all working. I think that's the, the piece. Like, right. So how many times have we reviewed an album where we're like, yeah, you know, we hear them trying some things and they're, they're going to figure it out. Well, it feels like, feels like she just tries things and they just sound really good yeah so it's really impressive you know undo was one that really stood out to me um it has that like dance poppy like strobey feel yeah. to it almost which i thought was great um and then it, that's followed up by um let me down slowly i think either the next track or a few you know it's it's the, yeah. Yeah, it's the next mm-hmm. track and i thought those two back to back were just really delightful uh what other songs stood out to you I really like one of the singles, Pasadena, which features uh, mm-hmm. Buddy, who's a rapper I like. And both Tanache and Buddy, they just really rode that beat well. I thought that one just sounded really good. Um, and then the the title track, 333, uh, you know, kind of a more sparse beat, but Tanache's performance still manages to stand out, even though, again, it's not like a super showy like bout of singing or anything. And then uh, the feature on that absolutely definitely gave me some like Doja Cat vibes. I was not expecting to hear that. Um, and I actually thought if you had Doja Cat on that song, it would have been a perfect fit. I'm sure we'll probably get the remix at some point. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about like how I would almost describe this album to someone. And it feels a bit like Doja Cat meets like Japanese breakfast, like mashed mm. together almost. In yeah. A sense. Like it's hard to like pin down the sound completely, but just like this, like, pop bubblegum like lightness that just really is a pleasure for your ears um i wanted to shout out small reminders as a song the bass guitar in the second half of that that song it like has like a switch up moment and the bass just goes off on that man it almost kind of reminded me a little bit of at the end of um i love uh i love myself by kendrick when Mm -hmm. in the live version that bass just goes like super hard um just really enjoyed that and uh yeah, I think you mentioned a lot of them. Um, just this was a album that I think subverts my expectations for her because it feels like she's just going to continue to rise and experiment and I'm here for it. Yeah, I gotta say, like it's we talked about a lot of 
female R&B artists because there's a lot of notable ones right now doing lots of good stuff. But I feel like it's really rare that I'm like super like surprised with what I hear. There's a lot of like convention right now, what you get from R&B and like alternative R&B. And this is, as you said, kind of hard to classify, which is really cool and definitely a far cry from what people were expecting from Tanache when she was kind of in the doldrums of her run with RCA. You know, like her early mixtapes before like Tuan became that big hit for her. Her early mixtapes maybe suggested this, but we hadn't seen it manifest in so long. And I thought Songs for You was really good, but like you could hear the convention there too. Not that that's a bad thing, but this, the, the subversion still really like grabbed me. It's like just not what I expected. And I've been a fan of Tanache's songs for a long time. Even the RCA stuff had things to like. So you can tell that she's not super interested in pursuing like mainstream commercial mm -hmm. appeal with this album. And that's cool. Cause that's her choice. So do what you want to do? It's, it's definitely working. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Check that out again. Nostalgia best of 2021 on Spotify. Give it a follow. And Dave, let's move on to a movie. I didn't get to, but I know you did nine days. I wanted to get to it. Just didn't have the time. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I just saw Nine Days, which is a film that played at Sundance 2020, the feature film directorial debut of Edson Oda. And it just came out um, two weeks ago. Sony Pictures releasing. Got a wide release last weekend. And very, I think, simple premise, very simple uh, movie to wrap your head on what it is. Our main character is Will, played by Winston Duke. And Will lives in this kind of purgatory land, which was shot in uh, Utah. So it's like in the desert, a house in the desert. And Will, in this purgatory, is uh, like a middle manager. He interviews souls asks them questions and has them do things over the course of nine days. And when those nine days are up, Will will decide which soul gets to move on to live an actual life. Go and go to life, go live. And they won't remember this whole nine day process, but they'll still be themselves. That's kind of the, the crux of it. And, you know, he's got an assistant that helps him out in this process played by Benedict Wong. And he, you know, he kind of sits in his, uh, little house there interviews his people when he's not doing that he's kind of watching the people he's granted to life in the past and it's kind of like very specifically like all on uh crt televisions he's watching vhs tapes of their lives of the people he's selecting he takes notes on what they're doing and he's very invested in his decisions to that point and we kind of watch one of these nine-day processes go and you get some notable actors trying to you know, interviewing for their lives in a certain sense, played mm -hmm. by uh, Bill Skarsgård and Tony Hale, and uh, most notably by Zazie Beetz. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie, very engaging when you like understand that presence and learning about it. And it's a lot of just talking in rooms, conversations, and, and you know, people espousing their thoughts in that regard so it's a lot of like thinking when you watch it and as you can imagine very existential stuff you know literally what is the what is the meaning of life how do right. i want to live all, all the things you can imagine would come up 
with this sort of thing. And, you know, literally Souls talking. We just watched Pixar right. Soul. We just recently talked about A24's The Green Knight. Existentialism and purpose are common film themes. They're in right days. now. I like it. Yeah. However, nine days gets quite dull. And oh, no. I was uh, not pleased with how the movie ends. It's, it's, it's a great premise, great idea for a film. And I actually saw some reviewers suggest that maybe it has amazing potential as a play, given that's really just a lot of talking, mm. you know, stage play. But as a film, I, I really stopped being wrapped. And, and I, I thought it was a dull end. And um, I kind of got a little frustrated with it. So I don't really want to spoil much. Not there's a whole lot to really spoil. But ultimately, it just the conclusion, execution of the conclusion, I, I don't think matches the uh, intriguing potential of the premise. So I would still recommend it if that type of movie is your thing to have an opinion on it. And generally, it's being well-reviewed, like in a letterbox. But for me personally, I, I thought it ended up being a little dull. So it's still mm. so cool. Like Even if it's a miss to me, it's uh, you know, it was a nice, nice swing. So yeah. I'd be interested to see what Otis' next movie is, because clearly he has a ambition. Yeah, I love the premise, the way you laid it out. It sounds super interesting. It's disappointing to hear that it fell a little bit short or maybe uh, didn't land totally. You know, I was wondering about Oda's, like, just eye, because I'm looking at the background. If you're watching on YouTube, it's this, like, desert with, like, this, like, really bright yellow sky and, like, this, like, dull like whitish sand color with uh zazzy beats and i'm guessing winston duke yeah. uh, having a conversation and it just looks amazing and you know even the the cover which I, is my background on youtube it's just like the sky with like this little like uh thing in the background you know in the background this little cottage or whatever and mm-hmm. it feels like there's it, I, it looks like there's like a lot of like big sweeping shots in this is that kind of what he went for Honestly, there's not a whole lot of that. Like, despite being shot in Utah, there's you don't get a lot of it till the end. It's really we're really in the house like the whole time, especially in the beginning. Yeah, and because of that, you really have to have be uh, carried by the script. And like, it's it's a yeah. good showcase for the acting. I think the acting is good. Winston Duke is notably like I don't want to say neurotic, but notably like measured in his performance, hmm. which to me wasn't like as cool to see when he's playing like Adobe dad and us or Mbaku <laughs> physicality and black Panther. Like this guy is like, all right, well, this will do. He's kind of a tough hang. It's like <laughs> very like by the book in his process about this, these questions and Zazie beats is a good foil to him. Cause she's like very unwilling to like play the game uh, mm-hmm. that he lays out for, for her in terms of the prospect of being selected. So yeah, visually though, it's like, not like probably the most, intriguing stuff is the way they kind of show you like all these crt televisions stacked on top of each other and you see all these moving video feeds and stuff but yeah it's uh it's uh it's an intriguing swing for sure but didn't work for me in the end with such a stacked cast too i mean young young and upcoming actors i think we like for the most part it almost feels like and i don't know what his character is like but Skarsgård might have actually been better for the winston duke role a little bit it's a good point. Yeah, he's good at what he is, and he he um brings his 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 qualities well. I, I, he he was a good choice, and yeah, he could have done it as well. Like you wouldn't have expected this from Winston Duke in terms of like I'm just picking an actor for this role. I wouldn't have picked him first. That's that's for sure. But 
yeah, they're all good. Like Tony Hale, uh, also yeah. good performance as having comedic element to it, uh, but it still fits the, the the everything going on with the movie. So also a good selection. And Benedict Wong, he's probably the he probably brings the best moments of levity to the film. He's just like, getting Will to like lighten up even for a second. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nine days. Uh, check it out. It's in theaters now, or it'll be on streaming eventually. And definitely, it, definitely a movie I think worth having an opinion on, just because it, again, it's so existential, and for some people, that it's really hitting, you know. But not for me. Well, I'm looking forward to um, checking it out in the near future. But as I alluded to at the beginning of our pod, Suicide Squad came out this past Thursday on both HBO Max and in theaters. Um, <laughs> what, Suicide Squad came out in 2016, the original? 2017? Correct. August 2016. Yeah. Same year as Jeez. Batman versus Superman. So five years. You know, five years it's been. And there was talk of a sequel right after the the David Ayer original Suicide Squad. You know, uh, him and Will Smith went on to make Bright, and then they were supposed to get right back to making a suicide squad sequel but um i think the reception to the first suicide squad um may have had something to do with the decision not to make a follow up right away and i believe air didn't want to do it eventually after all of the critical reception is that right if i'm if i'm recalling i didn't write this down but yeah well yeah well he also uh eventually everyone was towing the party line in 2016 but once people realized uh the movie wasn't any good things started to come out right and notably that the movie was hacked to shit by warner brothers and whatever movie david Ayer did make uh was not the one we got to see it was uh heavily cut after various test audiences and reshoots and yada yada again this is uh that's to right. Warner Brothers film regimes ago at this point, so not an indictment of what they do today, but uh, you know, you've seen uh, release the air cut trend in the wake of the success, we could say, of the Snyder Cut uh, reboot of Justice League, as it were, and I think the the problem with everything about the air cut is that David Ayer hasn't like showing that he's like in the best space to justify this in the wake of suicide squad one you mentioned bright netflix film that got some eyeballs on it but is not liked as a good movie you can double that for the tax collector which came out last year released uh, by david Ayer, which is quite bad and I, i just say like if you've seen the tax collector and you've seen bright how can you really be that invested in what the original vision of this movie was? And it's also moot because they made a reboot to a pseudo suicide squad too. Anyway, of course, just out by from James Gunn. So it's a, it's a weird legacy suicide squad one. And, you know, even though it was critically panned and not even well liked at all, it was disliked. It still made a lot of money, 746 million worldwide. It actually had pretty good legs for a movie that, everyone said sucks yeah and you know thinking back to i mean the the parts i remember disliking were some of the harley quinn and uh joker stuff Mm -hmm. you know i think leto's joker is just so polarizing and hard to uh take a a hard character 
for some people to really get into. Uh, some of the dialogue was just really bad. Obviously, the movie, like you said, was chopped to shit and just was nonsensical points. But I also just remember <laughs> um, Cara Delevingne's character. Yes. I'm forgetting the name. Just being Enchantress. A, yeah. Yes, Enchantress just being such a terrible yeah. aspect of the movie. In general. And, and, and on side of that, you have like these like hus- uh, faceless husk like can fodder villain yes, characters yeah. it's like there's just so much like unlikable like extraterrestrial stuff going on when it's really supposed to be a super high concept thing it's mm-hmm. all these bad guys these criminals hired to do a job together like the dirty dozen like it's it's mm-hmm. supposed to be quite simple and to have like enchantress doing all this magic shit as a corrupted villain like just completely incongruous to what you think the movie should be about and now that there can't be exis, uh, extraterrestrial stuff going on, it does not get in the way in Suicide Squad 2, of course, the Suicide Squad. But <laughs> for Suicide Squad 1, it was just such a mess. Like, I mean, do we even need Jared Leto's Joker at all in that movie? Because the character's barely no. in it, you know? So yeah. a, a lot of issues with it. But it's also honestly just completely old news at this point because it's yep. a relic of the past regime when it came to the DC films. Definitely. And, you know, we mentioned that Will Smith and David Ayer didn't come back and we only get a handful of people who come back, you know, from the original one. We have four uh, people, Robbie, Jai Courtney, um, Viola Davis and Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flagg. And Courtney Uh, dies really fast. So it's really only three people. Yeah, that's and that's (laughs) I think that's that's the thing is um, this movie really subverted my expectations yeah it it got super weird um it has a a really awesome beginning i think that just kind of like yeah basically like throws you for a twist right away and it ended up um i think working on multiple levels you know beyond it being a, a good superhero action movie um i think it actually had some some larger meaning and and some real takeaways in terms of like heartfelt moments and uh yeah i I was pretty impressed and and um glad that we finally got like a a successful suicide squad film um did you feel the same way after watching oh yeah totally totally like it, it, it does so many things right you know i mean it has lots of good humor as we've come to expect from James Gunn franchise movies with the Guardians films, of course, we're R rated R, so there's a lot of like, you know, ultra violence going on, but it's, I think, also pretty good. And perhaps most, I don't know, probably, probably the best part about like about it as a film is like, it doesn't like get in the weeds of what it is, despite like covering a lot of ground. Like, it's super easy to understand premise in the beginning, like what the Waller stuff in the prisons, like super fast bad guys bombing their heads do what i tell you like you get everything super fast if you hadn't mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on or anything and like i expected a lot of those characters to not make it in the beginning but to really see everyone wiped out right away and then you get like this uh really cool like title card and like the smoke or blood whichever one it was and we switch to the actual squad we're going to be hanging out with mm-hmm. in the beginning for our title card like it, it really really effective start yeah, super effective start. Also, um, you know, I was pretty devastated when the weasel uh, died in the beginning. <laughs> now, I mean, it, it, this is a spoiler review. The weasel does end up not dying at the end, which I was I was happy about. But yeah, I <laughs> I, I just was like 
so I did not expect to see it the way that, that we did either because it, it's gory ends for most of them, you know, like mm. uh, Pete Davidson's character's head gets just like completely blown in half. <laughs> you know, it's crazy stuff. Very gory, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think the, you know, seeing the actual squad kind of come together, um, you know, them retrieving Colonel Rick flag and that whole thing, like it ended up, I, I it's hard to like walk through it because I, I almost feel like it's like hard to explain. There's a starfish that is hmm, star alien. Yeah. Alien from outer space and is, you know, enormous and being kept as a, you know, undercover as a, American weapon or like a worldwide weapon yeah. that they there's some great comment on American foreign policy as like oh, pretext totally. for this movie, you know, about like uh, imperialism and like hiding hiding bad stuff going on in other countries. Like it's it, it's not subtle by any means, but I think it's still no. really effective as just like part of the film. And yeah, you meant like Star uh, Project Starfish. It's like it, it's mm-hmm. there's no secret where it's going, but it's a CGI filled third act that like it it's not garish. It doesn't make your eyes glaze over. It's really still riveting and, and awesome. And yeah. like, it, it's kind of like, really cool how much momentum there was in this movie start to finish. Like you mentioned the scene where they get flat, like it's played for laughs watching them slaughter a bunch of good guys, like the gorillas, the, the, the rebels in this, uh, you know, fictional South American country. It's like, that's that's really funny you know and like i think the chemistry of the squad is done really well and it's you know you have the harley quinn factor going on i think it's the best harley quinn movie of the three or harley quinn like role uh, of the three absolutely um yeah i mean there's there's so much to like about it um i I didn't expect to have rick flag joel kinnaman's character uh like characterized and, and colored in in this movie to the point where you're actually invested in him and then when he gets killed you're like really sad about it like i didn't expect that to be to be a feeling i had but yet we had yeah yet, yet we had it you know uh yeah i was thinking is this the best like kinnaman movie like the best role he's had in a movie in a movie maybe yeah because like he breaks out with the killing tv makes a big impression mm-hmm. in house of cards tv yep and then he's had a lot of movie roles that are up and down, you know, Robocop didn't go anywhere. Suicide Squad one, obviously not his best showing. Not, not that it was his fault. No one's uh, best showing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I thought he was really good in this. And like, he actually yeah. can handle something like the late comedy too, which he just wasn't even given a chance to do in the first one. Yeah, no. And <laughs> I'm thinking about the scene where uh, they go to break Harley out. Right. And, you know, you have an awesome Harley Quinn moment where she, basically just freeze herself you know yes nah, dead. yes exactly and uh you see him and Bloodsport, played by idris elba like sneaking across the street and like how, just how funny that visual was like not being like subtle at all and then you know she she comes up behind them it's like hey what are you guys doing like who, who, <laughs> what do you why, why are you here she's like we're here to save you she's like oh i'll go back in like just a great like back and forth moment but yeah i thought he played that so well and i mean I laughed when I said Colonel Rick Flagg because I think it from the first movie, I just was like, this is a total joke, this role. Like, just yeah. kind of, like, shepherding the bigger stars from one scene to another. It's, like, not a good look for Joel Kinnaman. He gets real work in this, and it's really right. nice to see him, like, kill it when he gets Absolutely. It, yeah, I really like that. Because I always I liked him on House of Cards a lot, and I think he's mm-hmm. good, so I'm happy to see this. Um, I also really love John Cena. 
as Peacemaker. And like the right? turn you turn you get for Peacemaker, I think is really effective. Like I said, you get invested in what happens to Flag. And that's of course due to the result of Cena. You know, I have to say, like, it's just such a good use of Cena's talents as an actor. I think back to Blockers, the comedy from 2018, where he's one of yep. the dads, you know, the kids go in the prom comedy, and he's also hilarious in that. But this, like, he he has the physicality. We know that, obviously, given his roots. But he has really good comedic timing. And it's just a great use of his talents in the Suicide Squad. And just really brings back how little of an impression he leaves in Fast 9, where he's oh, playing yeah. someone who's not comedic at all. You know, I think between like like blockers and this, Cena, this is this is like great, great performance, you know, and like we just talked about The Rock last week, you know, in terms of actor wrestler alums, you know, it's uh, I think this is like, like, do you have you have you been impressed with The Rock to, at the level that you were just impressed with Cena as Peacemaker? Because I don't think I have. Been. I mean, the, the Rock is just like a completely like his own entity at this point he's bigger than movie stardom he's yeah, probably gonna he's run himself. for president someday you know it's just like right. it's always Most the wrong person on instagram but cena yeah i was really impressed and i also thought just like perfect casting as this like superhero but also like grimy um you know like real just a tool for the american government's like yes. ill will which i just perfectly cast i love peace and i don't care how many people i kill to keep the peace or whatever he says <laughs> right um yeah i i was really impressed with him and i thought him and idris elba you know getting to uh idris elba as, as blood sport pretty much the will smith replacement yeah very similar to that shot in terms of yeah. skills yeah and also kind of like even attitude both have, yeah. both had a kid both have attitude with authority <laughs> like very similar yeah. i mean at one point Basically, idris was going to be playing dead shot and they decided to switch it up which um, i think but, is the right call definitely the right call sure. but character wise it's still very very familiar yeah and yeah. i think reluctant yeah, leader yeah. thing a lot of, lot of lot of tropes you know right and he's i think he gets the most to work with obviously being the i'd guess you could call him like the leading star of this alongside margot robbie those two seem to be like the two that were kind of billed as the top people but him not only growing into that reluctant leader role and kind of finding how to like push all the right buttons and uh you know actually building camaraderie with these weirdos but also you know he gets to be funny like him and um uh, john cena's character peacemaker going back and forth about like who's a better shot oh i shoot smaller bullets and my bullet would go through your bullet thing where you know they're like flipping each other off as they're like walking around during the mission and stuff like that like it just it, it all really worked for me and i I've been, I think Idris Elba is a really talented guy, but I don't always think he, his roles really grab me. And I always, I don't always think he really like kills him. I think sometimes he, he puts in some performances that maybe just don't work for me. I thought this totally worked and I kind of expected it not to going in. You know, I, my expectations for Suicide Squad were pretty low to begin with. So I was like, eh, we'll see if this really is a solid Idris Elba role. And I thought he was just phenomenal. So uh really impressed with that did you like his performance i did i did yeah uh idris just has a certain charisma as a performer that is always there even if like the role doesn't totally work like his role in molly's game always comes to mind it's just yeah. kind of like a, like a messy role and also him trying to do a f american accent didn't seem to work this time they let him be british and they let him just kind of stick to his strengths and it works really well 
um you know casting wise i actually loved uh sylvester stallone as nawa king shark um king shark stole this movie dude obviously the groot character in this uh james gunn film and sloan a guardians 2 alum so you get the connection there but stallone was really good because there there's more lines for king shark here than there were for groot obviously and yeah, just just really funny, and you're rooting for him. And I was like really concerned that he was going to die, like when he was getting shot by all the M16s at the end there, and then mm-hmm. when all those like fish creatures were biting. Yeah, so him. you're, you're invested like, in King Shark, which is not some, which which is you know it's going in testament to the movie. That. And you know, like reading about the film, there were no reshoots for this. Uh, James Gunn had a clear vision, you know, and that's why he got yeah. everyone to sign back on for this because they really liked his script and you could tell how, you know, clean cut it was. And like to pull off King Shark, like it, it, to pull off the Groot thing twice is just kind of a miracle. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I left that just being like, I would die for King Shark. He's just a phenomenal character. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I feel like I almost want to talk about every character here and I, I don't want this to be like an hour long pod just on Suicide Squad but Polka Dot Man another yes. character I thought was going to be super stupid and lame and obviously that's kind of what they were going for totally sucked me into it and he ended up having a nice arc obviously Rat Catcher 2 had a really mm-hmm. nice arc and uh, some nice flashback moments with Taika Waititi I think especially like a nice like emotional cap at the end with those two in terms of like the what the soul mm-hmm. of the movie was but we got to talk about harley quinn man i mean we yeah. we kind of danced around it but you said this is probably the best harley quinn role i guess like we would you yeah. say better than birds of prey yeah i mean between those two obviously i i i think it is you know because yeah. it just feels like everything she's doing works like it's still like a lot like early on it's, it's a lot of harley by herself she's not with the rest of the suicide squad for most of mm-hmm. the film but it didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like a side story at all. You know, her whole thing with the romance with the dictator guy and how she kills him, everything about that was great, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that I really liked that scene when it, when she kills him and she has like the, I always told myself I had so many more red flags. I'd murder them first. <laughs> Just like so good. Also, I didn't necessarily see that coming, which I thought was like a nice little, I mean, yeah. I, I assume she would probably not end up with the guy, but I didn't expect it to be something like that. Um, yeah, it, this feels very true to the Harley Quinn character. And um, I think Birds of Prey, she was really thrust into more of a like that reluctant leader role, like you talked about, but also just like badass role. And here she got to be there. There were multitudes to Harley, which I really liked and thought that was good. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, I guess we. We didn't really talk about the the villains that much, but did you like the was star uh, star Starro Starro? Did you like Starro? I love Starro. I also like <laughs> how they like contextualize Starro. He's like yes. this guy trapped, and he like he has these ambitions. Like when he dies, when he's like, I just wanted to look at the sky again or something. It's I like, was oh, happy fuck. just looking up at the stars. Man, I was yeah. Like, oh. Like, oh no! Yeah, you're just murdering people and shit, but. Oh damn! Maybe 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 we should just let him go. Yeah, Obviously. you're just misunderstood. <laughs> and I was actually reading he he has a decades long history in the comics and just kind of cool potential like how he grows and stuff. And yeah, for a CGI filled third act, 
I, you never get this riveted, you know, like it, yeah. it's rare to see it land this way, but it really does. Um, uh, shout out to uh, Daniela uh, Melchior, who plays Ratcatcher too. She's a Portuguese actress who is pretty uh, unknown in Hollywood. I think her biggest thing was that she was the voice of Spider-Gwen in the Portuguese dub of mm. Into the Spider-Verse. So she'll definitely get a lot of bigger looks now. And you mentioned Polka Dot Man. He's played by uh, David uh, Dasmalshian, who I've always liked ever since he has that uh, really small role in The Dark Knight as one of the Joker's henchmen, because yep. he's a really uh, a noticeable face and all that. So uh, he does. The whole, whole yeah, ensemble that... is really effective in The Suicide Squad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some of the like most well-known people in this, uh, Pete Davidson, mm-hmm. killed within the first like 10 minutes of this. <laughs> Nathan oh, Fillion, same way. Yeah. Just uh, really, um, I think just a real win for DC, which is nice. And I think DC, we, we've been talking about it, just continues to kind of just like find its stride. And I think obviously getting the right filmmakers and just kind of letting them have control and not, you know, doing what they did with Ayers is obviously the, the right direction for them to be going in. I'm really pumped for the Matt Reeves Batman. I think that's going to be great. So DC, you know, we, we spent a lot of time in the early days of the pod talking about the DC versus Marvel of everything. Uh, I, I'm glad to see the DC movie universe finding its its stride and, and its own thing. It really feels like they're a separate thing, not competing anymore, which I like. So um, definitely good. Any, any more thoughts on the Suicide Squad, Dave? Yeah, I was disappointed to see the box office was coming in under expectations, sub 30 million domestically. And on top of that, it got a B plus cinema score, which, as we know, with superhero movies is not a good score. And everyone I've talked to, everything I've seen has been overwhelmingly positive when talking about the film. But perhaps it's not doesn't quite have the same mass market appeal. It is an R rated film, so we don't have like huge box office comps. But at the same time, it also came in under what Birds of Prey did right as the pandemic was beginning. Obviously, there's so many factors with this, given that the movie is also for free on HBO Max, but I'd like to see uh, DC rewarded a little bit more, given how effective I think the movie is. It's arguably the best DCEU movie, you know, and there's a lot of them at this point. So that, I think that means a lot. So mm-hmm. either way, we'll uh, get the Batman soon. We've got Blue yeah. Beetle casting news, you know, so the, the Aquaman 2 filming right now, The Flash filming. They're, they're finally getting their shit together. It's nice. Yeah, definitely nice. I just want to shout out this one line reading real quick after um, some some person in the control center knocks out Viola Davis's, uh, <laughs> was her Agent Waller character. Get yeah. on a satellite, Dale, you fucking dickhead. Like, what a moment. I, I was dying laughing at that. I think that's the other thing. Maybe we didn't hit home hard enough. This movie's actually really funny, dude. Like, yeah, it's hilarious at, at points, so... Um, check it out. Go watch it if you haven't. Maybe this will be one of the first movies that has a good second weekend box office because uh, I think it deserves a real win for, for moviegoers and DC alike. So um, why don't we wrap up there, Dave? What do we got for next week? And next week we got a lot of stuff, so hopefully Kanye waits a little bit longer because <laughs> we got uh, The White Lotus on HBO, The Bad Batch finale on Disney+, Plus, the beginning of Marvel's What If on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the conclusion of FX is Dave season two, the little Dicky show. Uh, 
Apple's big Sundance acquisition comes out. Uh, Coda, excited about that. Also in the movie theaters, we get Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic, as well as the Ryan Reynolds video game movie Free Guy, which is getting surprisingly great reviews. And we also get a Killers album. So there's a lot going on. Woo. A lot going on this weekend. Hit that subscribe if you're watching at youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. You can find all the ways to follow the podcast. And, uh, of course, on Twitter at nostalgiapod. Uh, stay safe, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah.